You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today, Dave Phillips. Hi, Dave. Hello. Hello, Gray. Hello, Mike and Tara. Thanks uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to, to have you, and to, it's really nice to see you again. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been ages. And uh, yeah, I mean, listeners might have noticed our, our focus on field recordings and uh, our love of Dave's work in the episodes of the past couple of years and thought it would be a great time to have him on as he's been doing some amazing field recordings. But also, I mean, you've been active since the 80s, starting with uh, with Fear of God, right? Yeah, that was the end of 80s. Yeah. And I went solo pretty much after that. So how did after the bat? Yeah. How did you get started? How did Fear of God start? And how did you start kind of experimenting with noisier sound? Well, there was this other kid in the village. He was a year older than me, which at the time was a big deal. And he was my best friend. He was the only kid that listened to punk and metal like me. And uh, we got instruments and we started playing around and messing around. And a couple of years later, Fear of God came from that. Messiah, his other band, came from that. And uh, those were the first steps. And how did you sort of transition from that to solo noise? Well... After the band, one thing I knew was I wanted to continue solo. I wanted to be 100% responsible for the whole everything. So solo was the only way to go. I I was a bit fed up with the whole band kind of dynamics. And, well, I had to find an instrument. I had to find a voice. And that took me a couple of years until my first tape came out. But that was that. Yeah, I think my first instrument was a a Revox reel-to-reel tape recorder and a microphone. And I was playing around with that making noise <laughs> as you do and, screaming. And, and what led you to move from grindcore metal, whatever it was called then into more abstract noisy sounds. Was there people that you were in contact with? Was it records that you heard? What sent you more into the abstract path? Well, I don't know. It wasn't so much a change. It was certain similarities that I saw in in both music styles, which which had to do with intensity and which had to do with a kind of maybe a little bit of a political activist kind of background. So there was a strong similarity there. And the abstraction, I think, came, of course, there's certain people you meet on your life's path that kind of open doors for you. But uh, the abstraction came from just you're on your own, what you're going to do. You can't, you know, you you can't deal with rhythm in that way because, you know, you don't play together, you play alone. So it just, it just turned into that. It wasn't so much a conscious choice. It was more just a, a flow of events. And then when did you end up meeting Rudolph and becoming part of Shimflut Group? Um, well, I was going to punk shows a lot and metal shows and that's where i ran into joke the first time it probably was mid 80s and uh when i was 18 i started my first proper job which was as a distribution for independent music in zurich which was a bit of a turning point you know like a meeting point for you know freaks who do kind of just outside of music be it improv jazz or contemporary classical or punk or noise and rudolph turns up there one day with his record under his arm and I don't know. We just, it was kind of love at first sight. And we just started hanging around together. And 
I didn't really, it wasn't so much joining them. It was just, we built friendship. We spent lots of time together. We had very similar interests and uh, it just kind of one thing morphed into another. We all had our solo projects going as well, but you know, it wasn't like joining a band. Schimpfluch always was more like a collective. So right. you, you kind of participate. Someone has an idea, someone else likes the idea, those two work it out, or someone has an invitation from somewhere and says, I got an idea, let's do this. And, you know, what What do you think? And it just, there was never a lineup in that sense. It was always a bit of a, yeah, a collective, I suppose. Right. And uh, yeah. But we spent lots of time together. We did radio shows together. We did, did go, went to gigs together. We played together occasionally. We recorded together. And it just, one thing led to another. There was just, you're, you're part of the, sp the, the spaghetti plate performance, correct? Right. Isn't that yeah. you and Rudolph? That is, yeah. that's, yes. that was our, <laughs> mine and Tara's introduction yeah. to your world. I, I'll never forget we'll seeing forever that. forever be emblazoned and, in my mind. Yeah. Anytime we <laughs> yeah. eat spaghetti, I never know if I should just start bashing my head <laughs> on the spaghetti or yeah. what. Yeah. yeah. That was a crazy show. I mean, Schimpflug was always about audience reaction and audience participation. And it's maybe not so visible on that video, but it it went off like that because the audience just reacted so strongly. It was it was just insane and perfect at the same time. So <laughs> that was really, yeah. Were there any other performances that that had uh, such a strong reaction? Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time we we played in Taiwan. There was this place in the south of Taiwan in Tainan where. I don't know, just the excitement and the anticipation and the place there and the people and just, you know, something, all these things come together and it usually does not work out how you plan. But when there's a great, you know, exchange of, I don't know, energies in a place with the audience and with, with the performers, then, I don't know, magic happens. And that was a place like that as well. Your solo work has also had a very sort of uh, confrontational live performances associated with it. I mean, I know when I think I first saw you, was it at No Fun Fest? And then you came to play My Loft? Uh, yeah, that was the Detroit. video piece I was doing then. Yeah, and I think that uh, provoked yeah. very strong audience reactions too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a message. I mean, there's the, the old punk in me that was just find that music is also a vehicle for you know matters of the heart and that you want to talk about and want to address and i always like the idea that performances or live shows are a starting point they trigger a discourse about something i always like that angle so i i could not somehow not speak my mind and my heart and i guess i'm a bit sensitive about animal rights and the environment so there you go <laughs> you seem to have a lot of intention that you put into each of your releases from, of course, you know, the more animal rights focused stuff to even the, the field recordings and uh, sort of, I, is it, I guess, is, is to death your most recent full length or is there something? That's the most recent full yeah. length. Yeah. Um, yeah. And those are all different, but they all have very sort of intense focuses and uh, inspirations. How, how has this kind of changed and morphed over the years for you? Um, I guess there's just a few elements that come together. Um, one is my, my general interests, say, you know, human behavior, perception levels of the environment, animal rights, um, existentialism, existentialism 
philosophy, you know, these kind of angles, anthropology, anthropocentrism. Uh, these topics interest me. That's one leg. Then there's life experiences that seem to guide a lot of of what I do is just, I don't know. Uh, I guess this brings me to the third kind of leg, which is the therapeutical thing that this music activity does for me. When I, when I go through life's experiences and, and something, you know, weighs on me or, or I need to let it out, I need to find a channel. Music is there for me and it's always there for me. And, and I can put my demons there and, and it has a focus there. It has a, a purpose there and it, it, it helps me digest and, and process stuff. So, you know, to me, this is all normal. I couldn't do it otherwise. I don't choose to put intensity there. I just, I guess I just like intensity. <laughs> you know, I, I was reading an interview that you did when you were discussing uh, anthropocentrism, centrism. That is really difficult to say on the fly. Yeah, I know. For me too. <laughs> <laughs> Non-anthropocentric approach uh, yeah. to your work. And, you know, I guess that kind of triggered something in my mind that we've been discussing with field recordings. And that is how, you know, they can take you to a different place and they can put you in an almost meditative space where you're, you know, exiting your body or exiting your yeah. mind. And, yeah. and I think that your work can do that because, you're connecting to something that is not just, you know, human focused, but it's focused on the world around you and the life around you. And I think yes. that, that can connect you to a higher order. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, what, what fascinates me about field recordings is, you know, even as a kid, I was always just into animals. I thought they were just fascinating because they showed me how diverse life can be and how different beings on this planet have different life forms. And this just, for me, was just fascinating and mind-blowing. I think it does come across, like even when, for example, just recording the sounds of insects, but not not just thinking of it as some incidental sound that happens in nature, but thinking about it as insects conducting their own lives, insects trying to communicate something to each other, insects trying to communicate something to us, you know, using your empathy in different ways to connect to an animal yeah. I think can, can enrich your perspective as a human being. I remember my first lengthy field recording trips to Southeast Asia had these moments after being in Thailand for, you know, a month or two with running around with my microphone and, and hearing all these insect and frog populations, something kind of shifted in me, something about, what it means to be to be part of a whole, what it means to for me, insect sounds have a lot to do with celebrating life and and trance states of being, you know, altered states of consciousness. There's, that's always something I heard in there. And and this led me to questions about, you know, animals used to be looked at in in kind of mechanical ways, where, you know, if they call, they have either a territorial call or a mating call. So it was reduced to very base functional kind of ideas. And that just never cut it for me. I always thought these creatures make sounds, crazy sounds all day long. It's like the purest kind of music that I heard in my life. This, this is not just a mating call. It's maybe also, but it's probably many other things as well. And this just made me, you know, it put me in my place as where, where am I as a human 
being as part of a human species in within this whole thing and and what what is the rest of my species doing into this world and and i don't know it just made it very clear about where i want to go and what i want to do and it had a real big impact on on me did you go to thailand or other countries with the specific purpose that you were going to be doing field recordings or did it did you go there you had your recording equipment and you knew that you had to start recording somehow through hanging out with rudolph on joke i i just got into this habit of always having a recorder with me wherever right. i go and and uh first time in thailand i i had it with me i knew i was going to record it was a, a sony walkman tape recorder or something at the time it was 95 or something and I just knew that I wanted to, part of this journey was also about seeing the wildlife there, experiencing what it means to to live in the jungle and all that kind of, you know, Boy Scouty kind of stuff. It really fascinated me. And well, it, it changed my world. It changed the perception of my world, I guess. It really opened up many doors to things that I didn't even know existed. Uh, that first trip? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that set the course for me about, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing and where do I want to go with a lot of what I do. Yeah. And and now when you're touring, do you specifically carve out time to visit places for that purpose? If I, I try to, if I go right. to play, <laughs> I try to. Sometimes it's not always possible, but if I go to places where... I know that I've never been there and the wildlife is particular. I will, I will try to find, you know, five days where I can just spend in, in nature, in, in a natural environment, in non-human habitat and just observe and record and, you know, get a feel, touch ground. Well, you get to hear gibbons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, that's, that's a waking up call in lots of Southeast Asian places. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> Not Have a quiet heard? animal. I'll only Not recordings. A... I've never been around them, but I'm fascinated yeah, by them. They sing beautifully. It's it's mm -hmm. amazing. It's amazing. Have you heard howler monkeys? Yes. Yes, I have like, heard howler. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing sound, sound to wake up to in the jungle, I tell you. <laughs> terrifying. You go, Where's this death metal vocal coming from? <laughs> <laughs> when, when but you... I like the little trill that Gibbons put on the end, like the females yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's very really particular. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, yeah. when you're recording in the jungle, where exactly are you staying oh, are yeah. you staying in the jungle are you staying a little outside and then you go in what what are these trips do you like? camp well yeah sometimes it's camping sometimes in southeast asia i i try to locate national parks because these are you know well-preserved places where you can really get away from the hustle and bustle of cities and avoid because you know the most difficult part with field recordings is avoiding background noise so i right. choose large areas where there's no civilization and sometimes they have huts available you rent a hut for like a you know a dollar a day or something like that or you bring your own tent and uh, sometimes you can camp in the park but mo more often than not you stay outside the park just somewhere at the entrance and you go there during the day until the sun sets kind of thing sometimes there's guided tours and i've been on those as well where you go camping with locals and you know you spend two or three nights in a park somewhere and you sleep in hammocks Nice. Have you, yeah. I know there was, if, I want to say in one of the field recording albums, there was this, a description of places you go that generally you're going to have to have a guide to come with you. Have you ever 
found yourself in any precarious situations where you were a little, ooh, maybe we shouldn't have gone this far, this far up, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, a few times, a few times. It's uh, You feel like, oh, I think we're lost, and, well, I've made it back so far. <laughs> Are you usually by yourself, or do you have uh, any people that go with you? By choice, by myself, but yeah. usually there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's my partner with me or someone... Right. Sometimes you have to go with people and some, some parks, they don't let you walk around alone. So you have to have right. a guide yeah. and you, you tell them what you do. And they're very, very helpful people usually. And yeah, no. So when you're doing a recording, are you, are you near the recorder? Do you set it somewhere and, and try to get further away? Like how, what's the, how, how present are you in terms of spatially with the recording you're making? Well, um, when I started, uh, storage data recording space was somewhat limited. So, and I'd, I'd use these binaural microphones that I'd like to wear. And so the idea was that I, I'm in the recording. I wanted to be in the action as well. And then as, as technology changes, when you, when you can have recording devices that you can leave out overnight, I started doing that as well. But I do prefer being right there in the spot in the moment. Sometimes you hear that on some recordings. You hear steps or you hear my breathings. I like to be in the action. <laughs> All right. It's, uh, it's more fun. <laughs> how how when you're when you're in the jungle, when you're trying to record, how do you pick where you're where you're gonna set up and record? Like is it is it just hit you like this is the spot, or do you if, if you hear something, do you Get, try to get closer to maybe this the direction the sound is coming from or well uh when i stay in a place i try to stay you know a week or 10 days in one spot and then the first day you walk you walk around and you just listen and a lot of animals make sounds in cycles and and you kind of take note of where these sounds come from at what time of day and and you know that for example in the evening when the sun starts setting usually there's a, a change of the orchestra changes a bit. The daytime insects go to sleep. The nighttime, nighttime insects greet the take over, and there's usually some. You hear it sonically. Things happen, so you you take note of these things, and then the next time you come prepared, you're there. You know, two hours before the event, and you 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 stand there with your recorder, you or you sit quietly, and you just because. You know, as as soon as you move around, they they shut up. So you need to kind of be quiet, and you just try to work out their schedule and and find a way to to document it somehow. Did you ever find the wait challenging? The wait for us, the sound you were looking for, was it ever a challenge for you to sit and wait? Yes, that has happened. You heard this one thing, and you go like, "Oh my." That's so amazing. Tomorrow I'll come. And it's suddenly not there anymore. Yeah. There was this mm -hmm. one time I discovered these, there were cocoons hanging in a tree and they made a sound and they were obviously in metamorphosis. They weren't even born yet, but it was like one night only, never again. And there was so much noise in the background that the, the recording didn't turn out and, oh, well, sometimes you wait. But usually the waiting is not a challenge because there's usually sonically so much happening anyway. It's always just full symphony. <laughs> for my ears. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Well, is there a place you're longing to go right now? Well, the last time I was thinking of traveling, I set my mind on Borneo. Borneo. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. I like, I'm not stuck on it. I like 
tropical climates. The insects are crazy there and in rainforest areas. I like that. So um, it'll probably be something like that. But traveling is not big on the menu right now with the world being what it is. I, I stay right. put where I am. It's When did it become clear to you the importance of insects in your work and in the world? It's obviously something that's incredibly important to you. You have writings on it on your website. Obviously, so many of these field recordings are based around insect life. When did that hit for you? I guess it started with my interest in in, in animal rights when I, when I was still a punk kid and, you know, vegetarianism and these, these whole kind of discussions. That set me on a certain path. And I suppose just also that first trip to Thailand, hearing those sounds in, in that way just made me go like, I, I didn't know what I was going to expect and it just blew my mind. It was just jaw-dropping, amazing, beautiful, pristine. It just, so many things clicked in me in that moment that that kind of, that experience set me on the way. And then being interested in ecology, you know that insects are kind of like, you know, they, they hold the world together. Without insects, there is no life on this planet. And that just, because I was able to record them and hear them, they're not as difficult to to capture sonically as, say, you know, the big visually impressive animals like elephants or, or lions, they're, they're there. You can't really see them, but you hear them a lot. So that was, I just took that. And yeah, their, their importance for the balance and the, the sounds they make are just, I don't know, it does something to me. <laughs> it seems cicadas in particular have played a big role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, they play these frequencies and you, you listen to that and it does something with your mind. It's, it's, it takes you on a journey somehow. I don't know. It just really rings home with me. I'm a bit of a romantic when it comes to you know, the environment. So maybe that plays with it, but it really, it strikes a chord in me. It's And they're so unhuman sounding, like there's no way we don't possess that whatever tympanic membrane that would allow us to ever sound like a cicada. Well, we use word, which words, which is already a step down, really, because it's already a restriction. I mean, that's the other thing about insect sounds. When you when you consider the idea that humans always thought that insects or animals were lesser beings, it probably had to do with it being a bit of a language problem. Now, if you consider sound as a language and you take these communications as their contribution to, to society, to their direct environment, it's, I mean, if other creatures get as high off them as I do, then that's a great contribution, right? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Your, so, many of your recordings are un edited or at least unmanipulated i mean obviously there's you're editing time sometimes yeah. you say they're layered there's maybe a layers here and there but mostly you keep them pure now we've we've talked about a number of different people who use utilize field recordings and the different ideas of some people totally recontextualize them manipulate them and they become something else but then like yourself you are documenting these. The titles of the tracks are very descriptive of what they are. What's What brings that idea around for you to more or less document these moments in time? Well, I mean, I do use a lot of these recordings in, in an abstracted way in, in my other works, but I do also by choice make specific kind of field recordings albums where it's just that, the documentation. And... 
I think the reason is that to me this sounds so perfect already. I I, I, right. I have nothing to add. Anything I would add would take away from the the effect of of what I hear in it. I I would I would damage it if I would add right. any of my own. That's how I feel. It's interesting because compositionally, your works, even the ones in which you're including field recordings, are often very cut up, arranged, and composed. Like it's not straight noise session on some equipment or something. It's very meticulous. It sounds to me the way you put sound together. And I was I was just wondering how uh, how field recordings influenced your work, and and how has your work influenced the sort of field recordings you seek out? I think what I learned through field recordings is is has to do with trance states with 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 how not not how you describe music on a surface but how it affects beings the emotions that i think was something that i learned from using field recordings in that way um i just like the organic feel of them as well i i kind of you know everyone has their own rules and boundaries about what they want to do and not and for me what the organic sound is something very important and and hit, field recordings just score a hundred points on that chart <laughs> this idea of how important our ecosystem is and what we're doing with it and this kind of civilization out there this freak show that we call normality how that affects the wildlife this this is just an important this is has become a really important part of my work I want to communicate something about things that matter to my heart. And I think field recordings, with the help of exposing myself in that way, it it just made that pretty clear that that is something that I really feel strongly about and I want to do. That's the influence, I guess. Something we've talked about in the work of Shimfluck, Runzelstern your work, et cetera, is the use of silence. And even to the point where we've even admitted the three of us, sometimes it's just, it can be difficult and a struggle with when there's these bursts in the silence. And whereas we can sit quite easily and listen to hours of pure noise, mm -hmm. sometimes those performances and recordings that incorporate so much silence admittedly are difficult even for some seasoned veterans of listening to <laughs> noise, abstract, etc. What is your thinking behind the use of silence and the bursts and the silence? And where did well, that come from? Well, it creates a kind of tension, doesn't it? And the tension is something exactly. that, yeah. that I find very interested, interesting. Um, I think these jolts just make you feel alive. It's like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of horror films. And at the same time, I jump terribly whenever these jolts happen. And the first split second is this moment of, oh, fuck! And the next moment is this huge smile. And it, it does something to me that it challenges me, but it also rewards me. And I think the silence goes in the, a similar kind of direction where you, you, you... And because we're young punks and like to do go, Bleh, you know, that's part of it too, I guess. But this... I don't, music for me has never been decoration. It's always about challenging things, you know, to, 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 to make you think, to make you, to trigger something, to trigger an emotional response or, I don't know, I think it goes down that line. Because there's even one, I can't remember if it's just RNG, if it's Shimfluck RNG, the record on P-tapes that's pressed onto the paper. Oh, 
uh, with the paper, the paper seven inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's Rudolph's. Yeah, that's, that's Rudolph. Oh, I heard, yeah, that's sometimes I forget. RNG, yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah, it's, it, it's confusing for me. As the well, world sometimes. is off. But that one, yeah, that one was definitely a a, a struggle. <laughs> Uh, and 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 we all, we we always reference that as being a a struggle, but that's just another thing that this world yes. of sound can do. That we always say, what what can noise do that other music can't and won't? And that's something that it can do. You can press yeah. a record onto some paper and still confuse people who have listened to this for decades later. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You want to, you, yeah, you want to lead people out of their boxes and and just challenge thinking. I mean, for me, this whole radical political kind of stuff, it's, it's a trigger for discourse. You know, you, 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 you put something there that provokes or, or challenges set norms and ideas and it leads you somewhere because it, it creates, it creates an energy exchange. And I think that's what it's about, you know, yeah, I definitely have noticed that you, or we're discovering our limits in terms of, of sound. Definitely when we were younger, it was the silence. It was the minimalism. And then once we settled into that and really started to appreciate minimalism and atmospheric sounds, now the the borders are those like startling moments that shake <laughs> that shake you like mixing the noise and the still moments it's still just um it's it's i get stressed well you I mean, like you're, it you're, but i get stressed your groundfall cd has a lot of that too <laughs> yes. you know of course we yes. talked to eric a few week, a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and we were listening to the groundfall cd and it has these oh my god these yeah these split second tracks of that but then that last track goes into this just amazing drony you know that entire journey it just fills yeah. the room and then like the last you, track is that swans uh, track isn't it that heavy yeah, bass you, one oh, right yes. yeah yeah yeah, yeah which, swans, which swans track <laughs> yeah but it also but also listening to it and having really been focusing so much on the field recording stuff yeah. it almost i almost kept forgetting that this, I wasn't hearing, this is not a cicada, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I was just getting so used to hearing the recordings of nature that when listening to that, I almost forgot that it wasn't that, or maybe it, what, maybe part, maybe that's part of the resource. I don't know exactly what you're using, but that's I think, interesting. Yeah. I think going into, cause you, cause our, my brain was so mm-hmm. clicked over to the yeah. field recording stuff, right. So, but I think that's, what's great is the interweaving of all of it where it becomes your work and it can be all these other things that the perception and can, and context. Yeah. Messing with your perception, yeah. having a transcendent atmosphere and yeah, well, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's about this, this thing, interconnectivity, I call it, or hyperconnectivity. Some people call it chaos, but this this place where so many things come together to create to create a, an experience that I don't know just takes you somewhere. Altered states of consciousness. I mean, music is the best drug, you know, and it's it's a trigger for discourse. And I don't know how can you how do how how can not everyone like this kind of stuff and listen to this kind of stuff and want to move on and I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's exactly. When did you first come across field recording artists that were doing specifically field recordings or really utilizing field recordings in their work? Was there any specific artists that really spoke yeah. to you? Yeah, Etan Donne was a big impact for me. 
when I heard Etan Donet with their, not the very early works, but the, when did they come out? There's Aurore and Bleu. Yes. And Wyoming. <laughs> These three records, when those came out, I was working for the distro at the time that was selling them. And that just blew my mind. It opened up so many other doors and they were always a big influence on, on what I wanted to do with field recordings, even though I ended up going a different direction again, but they were very impactful for me. I could see parallels between something like those records and say disappear though, like in terms of the, okay. the abruptness of sound, the use of the human voice, the quiet yeah. parts and the, you know, I, okay. they don't sound the same, but, uh, I can see a spiritual connection between them in some way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've always found them very, yeah. They're a big influence, definitely, definitely. I mean, for the first couple of years after I recorded my first field recordings, I didn't really want to release anything like that because I thought, I can't take credit for that. That's not me. I'm just the recordist, you know. And then through talking with various people, Francisco Lopez was one of them. For um, sure. He, he was an early, you know, big influence as well. He opened up a lot of things. I thought, no, it's there is something to it. And also Chris Wolf, who released my first field recordings album he did little enjoyer, little enjoyer the yeah chris wolf mm -hmm. i remember he, he he did my my first proper field recordings release and and we had long discussions about this about how can i put my name under something that is not even me making the sound and you know that helped he helped definitely that's great I had read an interview with you where you cited uh, some pieces that, that you find inspiring. I think it was uh, like Rothko Chapel was one of them and, and the work of uh, Morton Feldman. And obviously those things have ties to what the, the, the repetition and sort of almost minimalist instrumentation of field recordings and, and those recordings uh, are very similar. Are there other records that sort of inspired you, like other field recording records specifically that did it or that you were exposed to early? Uh, nothing comes to mind right now. It's early field recordings. I don't know. Or do you I have mean, any favorites? <laughs> Field recording favorites. Yeah. I do like Lop I do like Lopez work a lot. I mean, it's, um, oh, yeah. he's incredible. Um, Thomas Tilly does very interesting stuff. He's a French guy. He mixes field recordings with other stuff, um, which is not always my cup of tea. But he 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 does some amazing stuff. Uh, Chris Watson obviously is the the big mentor right. for everyone. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Rodolf. Alexis Rodolf, I think he's called, did a, an amazing album. There you go. Rodolf, Alexis, Semper Virant. That's a really good one. More recent. All right. Okay, your wall is amazing, by the way. And <laughs> clearly it is organized. We're looking at a beautiful wall of, it's, it's is it all CDs? That, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yes. Because oh. when you stood gorgeous. up, it, you could really see the, it was almost hard the to size. see the size with, the, with our perspective. <laughs> but when you stood up, it looks nicely I'm organized. I'm so now we, impressed. You know, we do always ask people how they organize stuff. Yes, we do. Are you, is that alphabetical? Is that genre? How do you organize or is it, or is it a mess? 
<laughs> it's we're, a a mess. we're a mess, we're a mess over here. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a mess. I'm not a mess. I'm not a mess. I, I worked in a record distro, so I learned how oh, to right. keep, <laughs> keep an order. And, you know, it was my first proper job for six years. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a bit of a nerd when it comes to these things. I keep an gotcha. order. I order it by style and geographically. Like nice. all my experimental oh. music is, is, okay, here are the North Americans. This is the 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 Randy Au crew and the San Francisco crew, you yeah. know, with Joe Colley and that, that's that area. This is the New York pile with, you know, I try to do it a bit like that. I According to yeah, how I great. meet people and within sections, it's alphabetical. Uh, it's like yeah. organizing wine. Fine wines. <laughs> uh, those I don't organize. I drink those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the way to do ah, it. That's a good way. Did you ever... Did you ever Play, did you ever come over to California in the 90s and do any shows with those guys, Kali and Randy and, and that whole crew? Or? No. The first time over was 2003, Invitation by Eric Hoffman to do Heck yeah. Beyond Sound, I think it was called. Oh, cool. Beyond Sound Fest somewhere in L.A. That was 2003, though. That was my first U.S. visit. Wow. Yeah, we, we love Eric. We were just on at his place a couple weeks ago and pawing through his collection and just having, having well the best preserved time well yeah. organized collection it was yeah i, yeah, I yeah. ran out of drool <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no eric was really important in connecting me with a lot of good people um first time i came over there was chris goodrow was there randy i was there daniel menchi uh bob bellaru i mean all you know sweethearts wow. you know <laughs> yeah yeah, the ground fault. So we always talk about what an important label it was, and and the series, and and how it did bring so many different people from so many different places into this one umbrella, and exposed so many people to so many different stuff. We always talk about for us getting exposed to to field recording type stuff was definitely through ground fault. Yes, okay, we, really. We were in the. We wanted the sicknesses. We wanted Mas the government alpha, blast but then chaos. we still. We're like, yeah. well, they put this stuff out yeah. too, so let's check out this stuff from the, you know. So then we yeah. got, found out about Eric Lacasa and and etc. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. what what an important way to bring so many different people together like that. Yeah, he was really amazing what he did at the time. I remember that time was like, well, you have these strange categories, and I go in this category, and but how does that work? But <laughs> and I can't have my own front cover, and uh, but yeah, <laughs> no, he was. <laughs> But, it, but as, he, he but, was really amazing. Looking back, it was such yeah. a good That's the thing. That, and that's yeah. what we always say. Like, Long now game. the history of it, it's like, oh, it's the best. You know, we have, yeah. we have them all lined up and it's, it's the best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But also thinking of the different, different personalities and people under one scope, I always think about Shinflux because I think of yourself and Joke and Rudolph and Daniel as all these very different personalities coming with very, from very different backgrounds and so dynamic too but then like each individual but then the power is bringing it all together and i think that's ultimately what makes for the most interesting stuff i mean that meeting those guys was magical i mean when i met joke he was three or four years older i learned a lot through him he was a bit of a sensei but just living in the same city at the time that doing this outsider stuff, having these outsider interests, it was just such perfect common ground. And like you say, we all kind of had and pursued our own styles, but doing stuff together, I think 
helped us all a lot to to kind of define our own styles and to open up to new things. And now it was just really important time for me, a school. Yeah. I was the young kid next to Joke and Rudolph. I'm like a bit of the younger one. So, you know, they were always like, ah, oh, you know, they were more connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of someone else you worked with, and it's a bit of, with a bit of sadness that we want to bring up Tom Smith and yeah. someone you worked with. And how did the own project come out? Actually, I I know I've always pronounced it wrong. How is that pr- project pronounced? One. 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 I think I always say own. One. One. How did that project come about? Well, uh, I played a show with Rudolph in Paris in 96 or 97. And uh, Tom was there with To Live and Shave in LA and Smell and Quim. And it was a right freak show. It was amazing. And wow. I don't know. I loved what Tom did and Tom loved what we did. And, and we were like, let's do something together. I don't know. It seemed pretty crazy looking back, but we did. And it, it turned out to be one of the most, especially that tour we did together with, you know, one guy from Berlin, two guys from Switzerland, one guy from um, Georgia, or was he living in Florida at the time? I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, he always went back and forth yeah. between Georgia yeah. and Florida. And, but, and yeah. we made this thing happen and I had to buy a car. I don't even have a driver's license and I had to buy a car so we could go and play gigs in Poland or, or in Russia because no one wanted to give us a car. And it just, it was such an amazing experience. I'm so grateful to have walked a bit of my life's path with this, with this guy. He was a true freak. He was a oh, true, yes. you mm-hmm. know, challenging, unique personality. I mean, oh, yeah. I, they, they, they broke the mold for sure. When, when he was, he, there's, there'll yeah, never be was, another, he was out there. And that tour was a lot of Eastern Europe, right? Russia. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Don't ask me why wow. we had this yeah, idea. Maybe, I, I maybe someone invited yeah. us and said, come <laughs> over. And we go like, okay, we're going to do this by car. There's all these countries we've never been to. What's Lithuania like? What's Latvia like? Belarus. That's a dictatorship. We're definitely going to go there. And <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'm amazed how it worked out, but it worked out and we did it. And it was just a transformative experience. Yeah. And how long was it? I mean, it was a pretty... Six good, weeks good, or something like that. Yeah, it was like, oh it was like a full-on <laughs> yeah. like, tour. tour. And it's and been documented. And distinct individuals, you know, together in yeah. a van for a first time. We, you know, we had our, there was a lot of friction going on. But when we went on stage, something happened that was just, yeah, it was great. It was really precious. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the, <laughs> one, and such an incredible album. And then a lot of those live shows are documented. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But, you know, and of course, sadly, not only have we lost Tom, but also obviously Peter, who put out the CD. So, yeah. you know, for for us, we always say that the the beautiful thing is that the art and music will, is, will always be here forever. So they will always be here. But it is also those moments of, you know, we, as the years go on, this is just it's the you know, holding on to those, that great art forever is the most important thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I find a little consolation in knowing that these guys lived a full, rich life. Yes. They yes. they kept, they kept their boys curiosity. They never, you know, didn't follow their heart. And 
You know, I had this experience looking after my parents, the, the, the thing that ended in to death. And um, I see what this civilization can do to people. And nowadays when someone dies around 50 and 60 and they've had a good life, I'm thinking, you didn't want to get 70 or 80 in this day and age anymore. It's probably okay, you know? I don't know. That's my mm -hmm. consolation that I get out of it somehow. I know he went for it. I think living yeah. completely every day the way these people did is such an inspiration that you know that. Yeah, they, authentically, naturally, just all out and and going for it. And it's it's yeah, impossible yeah. to be in their presence and listen to what they do without being completely inspired at at their, you know, sense of direction, at their sense of aesthetics, at it just the unabashed personality that they possess. It's phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I always, Who I always has talk, the balls to do I that? always talk about the I always talk about the usness, the <laughs> yeah. of, of everybody or the, the yeah. you-ness. Like it's the thing that you can't take away because it's so embedded in you and no one else can really do it in that same way. And that's, mm. the, that's the greatness. So even of, a Dave Phillips field recording, it's, it's not through, the same it's as like you're a pedal. Yeah. We always talk about the human pedal. <laughs> yeah. So no matter what those cicadas went through the Dave <laughs> yeah. Phillips human pedal. Yeah. So Whatever you didn't make means. the sound, but you are the pedal that provided. Yeah. I learned that. Interest. I learned to accept that. I learned to take the credit that there's the way I select and use my pedals. I suppose that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> justifies me putting my silly little logo at the bottom of it. Yeah. 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 How uh, yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned to death, which is a, a fantastic record, but how did you process sort of your, your grief and loss into a record? I didn't, you know, when this, when I was, where should I start? <laughs> I was living in Berlin at the time. This COVID thing just happened. My last relationship was in Bruins. I was visiting my parents a lot at the time. And when this COVID thing happened, um, I was like, okay, right. I'm. There's no more gigs ahead. I'm, I've Nothing keeps me in Berlin. I'm going back to Switzerland. I'm going to look after my parents. They need me right now. And, and I completely had no idea. I underestimated the situation, obviously. I overestimated my strength, but... I think I did it pretty well. And six months into that journey, I had like the first kind of week off. And I, I went to my, I still had my little room in Zurich. I went there um, and I had all these notes about recordings I wanted to do. And uh, I started recording and the direction was not clear at all, but it had to do with, you know, usual things, trance states, you know, the ecological agenda was always there in the background. And once I recorded these things and I listened back, I realized this is something quite different. This is, you know, going somewhere else. And, and, and then I, I think the processing happened through, through making these sounds. And, and, you know, my, when I put my parents to bed at night, I'd slip on my headphones and I'd be in this sound world and I would be in a good place. You know, I, I it, it was healing in those moments to, to be able to, to do that thing there that it was purely therapeutical in a way. I did, 
I found it to me it's unlistenable right now, but at the time it was the most majestic thing I could I could think of doing. It was the right place for for whatever energies that I don't really there was a lot of grieving, but there was you know, dying is not this huge monster that people make out to be. It's the end of a cycle and and your presence there and being there for that person, it it awakened something very deep inside me. There was something, you know, there's a lot of strong things connected to um accompanying someone to death. So it wasn't all just sadness and grief. There's a lot of things that went into there. Um, but yeah, it it was just a savior, as in a, a, a world where I could let my demons roam, my sadness roam, because that was definitely a part of it as well, and and get me ready for the next day somehow. <laughs> Was it was it difficult to decide to release that with with those themes, or was was that always sort of the plan? Once I heard the recordings of what I did, even though my intentions were not what I what ended up being, I realized this is kind of a requiem. I called it a requiem. It's a it's a you know it's it's a swan song on on my father's life. It's um, but you know you had this whole COVID thing going on as well, which had an impact that I probably didn't acknowledge really, but I think looking back, it was, it was, it was definitely there. So once the recordings happened and I realized what it was that I was processing a lot of what my caring involved, I I knew that this is going to be a a kind of a requiem thing and, and uh, I will release it and I will finish working on it uh, when my dad dies. That was that was after the recordings happened and I realized what it was, that was the plan. Okay. Yeah. I wanted to this is for me a part of being able to to process. I, I I work on this during this whole thing, and when my dad is gone, I finish this thing and it it helped me. It helped me. It helped me move on. It helped me work you know, look forward once this thing was over. I mean, I still had to recharge my batteries, but I was mentally, I was in a good place. It didn't devastate me as much as it should. You know, most professional carers, they do this kind of job for three months. And we had, we tried one. He lasted six weeks just because I had a breakdown at one point. I did it for 15 months. I mean, it was a little bit ludicrous, but I never didn't want to be there. I always knew that this mm-hmm. is where I wanted to be. And this rec- this album just helped me through it, to be honest. Without it, I don't know if I would have managed. Wow. It's a very powerful record. And uh, I know you and I had talked because I also went through some loss last year. So I feel like it it resonated with me at, at the right time. Um, yeah. And thank you for that. I mean, it's nice to be able to... I, I didn't have the uh, ability, even the resources to create at the time because I was uh, out of out of state with, with you know nothing but my laptop, really. And uh, focusing on that, and trying also to ignore that situation while I was dealing with it. Cause it's, it's very, it's very taxing. Um, but yeah. to have something that I can connect with that's on a very similar level is, is, uh, I don't know the right word, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it hit home. You know, it, when you do something like that, there's always mixed feelings. Is this right? Is this exploiting the situation? Is this too personal? Should you just keep it for yourself? All these questions go around in your head, but I mean, I've had experiences like that before. I know how it's, how it's powerful to, to put something 
an experience into a body of work and then with the release of that body of work into the world, you release all the demons associated with it. You move on. It helps you to process. It helps you to heal. It helps you to move on. So I kind of accepted the contradiction in it. Sorry for your loss, but I, I, I'm really glad to hear that it, it, it helped to maybe console or something or feel less alone with this. And I'm really, that's the best compliment I can get. That's nice. It's, it is incredible. And we always talk about, I don't know how, for lack of a better term, normal people deal with a lot of this stuff where they don't have that outlet to either record, to write, to talk, to mm -hmm. or to listen to this stuff. Because to me, it's the, this is how, this is how we get through every day. Is, is Absolutely. This. I'm totally with you. I'm no, totally yeah. with you. If I wouldn't have this channel of of putting my energies, whatever energies they are, into it, if I if I didn't have this place where I could process the world I live in and the mind I live in, and I would be, I don't know, either a, a drug addict or a mass murderer or something. I don't know. I just couldn't cope. I would have been, nah. It really, it's it's a very, it's the best therapy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it truly is. Yeah. One of the most recent albums, one that Gray's talked about a lot, we just love so much, is Don't Hurt Me For You're Pretty. Right. That title is... So most of the titles for the field recording records are... There's field recordings. There's Cicada Trance is one of the newest things you put up on the Bandcamp, which we're going to, of course, have links up to your Bandcamp because you can get everything. All this stuff's so great. But Don't hurt, hurt Me For Your Pretty. I saw there's a picture. Is, is that on a tombstone? What is that? It's a park somewhere in China. Okay. And, mm -hmm. and, I mean, you all know... Japanese English and Chinese English, you know, these terrible translations where half of the time you look at these English signs and you go like, what are they trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. Right. And and I I saw this stone. It was it wasn't a tombstone. It was I think it I think it means something like don't step on the grass or something, probably down that line. Oh, okay. Yeah. And but I saw it and I know this is gonna be a cover one day. This is gonna be a title, maybe, you know. It, definitely I'm gonna use this somehow. And then this whole, yeah, the field recordings, I was like, yeah, okay, that's the title, isn't it? It just has to be. <laughs> well, it's that, as simple that is as so that. perfect. I assumed it was uh, referring to don't, don't hurt animals for cosmetic reasons or something like that, but it's even, even better. I, I'm not sure what it means. You <laughs> yeah, know, the, all, the, there's, there's a lot of these signs in Chinese parks and cities where it's like, you know, be nice to nature, save water, save the ecology. I mean, it, it's 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 a bit, you know, you don't expect that in big hubs like Beijing or Shanghai. And you see these little signs everywhere, you're like, wow, you know. So I don't know, maybe it's related to something like that. But I think it's something much simpler, actually. But the beauty of it is I don't really know what it means, you know. <laughs> I mean, unless you can read the Chinese on it, which I can't. So there you go. In the, uh, in the accompanying photos for don't hurt me for your pretty there's uh photos of some of the the wildlife and insects that i assume were taken while making those recordings how yeah. how often are you sort of seeing what's making the sounds you're recording hardly 
the the pictures uh, in the release and the sounds on the release don't necessarily relate as these are the same animals that you hear. They relate to the area in which the recordings were made. It's uh, but most of the time you don't see the little critters that that make the sound. They're hard to spot. Yeah. yeah. Not I, the bullfrogs buried in the earth. Well, those were a bit easier to spot. Um, <laughs> but I mean, often I record at night as well, and you just you don't really see. And I don't know; it doesn't matter that much. My my, I mean, my approach is not a scientific approach, right? Mm -hmm. I never, I never thought, okay, I have to know what this thing is called to be able to give it a name on an album because I don't know. I just, I just hear individuals. I don't think they really care what we call them. We humans. They're just individuals. And yep. I mean, how much would it tell you if I said, oh, this is music made by the Homo sapiens species? <laughs> right. It wouldn't really tell us much, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, you mentioned in uh, 1995, your, your earliest recordings were just a, a Sony cassette Walkman. Uh, what sort of equipment have you used over the years and what are you using now to capture these field recordings? Uh uh after the tape recorder i used mini discs i always had these binaural headphones from a german company called soundman that i like to use um mini discs and then after came the digital age and i i used these zoom recorders mm -hmm. oops that's now on the recording uh <laughs> I I use cheap equipment. I don't use fancy tools. I like something that is quick and practical. When something works for me, I usually stick to it until it's it's broken. So uh, I'm afraid I can't offer you much gear porn because I half of the time I can't even memorize the brand that I'm using. <laughs> I think that's fine. I mean, it speaks more to the fact that the recordings are important, not the thing that's recording them, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, good friends tell me, hey, man, get you, you know, you go amazing places, you should use proper microphones. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. But yeah, I haven't really got there yet. It's <laughs> <laughs> more stuff to pack. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. This is what? <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are in 2022 shows, maybe happening ish again. Do you have stuff lined up? for the year so far well yeah i have one gig coming up uh but there's not much but i moved to the countryside half a year ago and i share this nice big house with um two friends who are also musicians and we have this kind of nice big living room oh wow. uh, that's it. great and we yes. do little see and we do little secret shows in here without yeah. certificates without masks without all this bullshit Amazing. For friends, for family. So, I don't know, living room concerts, that's the future, no? <laughs> private gigs, we yeah. are giant yeah. fans. Yeah. We yeah, love yeah. private gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And what about recordings? Anything scheduled to come out? Working on anything? Always, always, oh, always. I mean, yeah. yes, it is constant. Always, always, always. I, I'm just completing an album which is going to be on uh, Flag Day Records. That's Guillermo somewhere in, is it North Carolina? No, no, that's Tribe Tapes. I'm mixing them up. Somewhere over there on your part. Uh, I got two, two short, two or three shorts coming out, a seven inch 
somewhere in Portland, Oregon, a two lathe, 10 inches. Um, I've already been recording for the new album, which is going to go in a very, I already see where it's going after listening to the recording again. It's going to be much more tribal and maybe inspired by traditional music and maybe more primitive. Um, oh, I've got a soundtrack. Yeah. One of the lathe cuts is a soundtrack for Un Chien Andalou. This, oh, nice. Uh, nice. This uh, Bunuel Dali film. Mm-hmm. I mean, a kind Classic. of a cla- classical kind of soundtrack to it. Oh, cool. So, yeah, there's always many pots on the stove, uh, always a couple of projects on the go. And I mean, I can't live without not making music. It's just, no. yeah. It's just such a gift to be able to have that. And that's not going to stop until I stop. That is exactly <laughs> the sentiment we want to hear. Bravo. Well, Dave, this was so awesome. Of course, for everyone, we're going to have a link up to your Bandcamp. Is that going to be the best way for people to stay updated as to what's coming out? I have yeah. a website. On the website, yeah. there's a contact address. This call goes all directly to me. I'm afraid I'm not on social media, so you won't find me there. But uh, There's nothing wrong with that, and that is... Um, <laughs> But always stay I, that way. I do bank I do an email newsletter. You can sign up for my newsletter. Uh Bandcamp, I guess, is a is a fair way of keeping up. We have most SoundCloud. of your extensive catalog up on Bandcamp. So if someone mm-hmm. wants to hear anything yeah. we've referenced yeah. today, yeah. please yeah. go to Dave's Bandcamp. It's excellent and uh lots of very, very good uh and affordably priced things to get too. And beautiful yeah, yeah, yeah. words I, and details. Well, I keep the prices low. I try to keep uh, you know. The punk spirit somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I put a lot of effort into things. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for paying attention. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such an awesome conversation. Yes. This is this yeah, was really great yeah, to get to yeah, talk yeah. to you. So thank you so much. Good and luck. Maybe, Good luck with may- Noise Extra and all. Heck you know, yeah. Thank you for, <laughs> for offering that platform to people. It's a good thing. Heck yeah! You, hey, man. maybe maybe someday in this future in this weird world we'll get to we'll get to do it in person. But until <laughs> then, this was, the this was good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah! All right, well, thanks so cool. much. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over seventeen years. By Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise. <laughs>